I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen and I'm here with my sister, Michelle. Hello. And today we're going to talk about expeditions. That basically means field trips, but it doesn't have to be like big ones to super important destinations. It's everything from going out in your backyard to flying to a foreign country. Yeah. Everything in between. We always say that the world is our classroom when we're homeschoolers. And really, we mean it. There's not ever a time that you go, oh, we can't learn. You don't have to be sitting at a desk. You don't have to have a pencil in your hand. You don't even have to have a book in your hand all you the time. You can be on vacation. You can be on vacation and learn about things. In fact, that's one of my favorite ways to learn about things. But that's why when people ask us about our homeschool schedule, I struggle a little bit. I say that we always homeschool and we never stop. But I don't mean that we're always sitting there with our homework in our hands. At or the table. We, yeah, that we carry it around with us even. It just means that we always have interesting conversations and we notice things and we're curious and we're talking. And so the world really is our classroom. So mostly in this episode, we're going to talk about how you can take some of that learning outside of your house, you know, away from the kitchen table and specific things that you can do to, you know, include the whole world in your learning and not just books and videos at the kitchen table. Yeah. And we don't want to imply that you shouldn't spend time at the table, spend time doing written work, spend time, you know, in more of a classroom type setting in your homeschool, because we do that every day. Yes. But when you mix it up a little bit and provide some variety, it really adds to your homeschool in huge ways. And it's just a benefit of homeschool that it would be a shame for you to miss out on because it's right there. You know, your, your great outdoors is right there and it's an awesome tool for learning. So Karen, I'm going to tell you something that we did this week. We, we have been learning about ecology and I wanted to teach my children about the concept of a niche, which is where an organism, an animal or plant or another organism has a specific job in its environment. It lives in a specific place with specific locations and it does specific things. It interacts with other organisms in a very specific way. Like it's, it's got a, a job that it fulfills in the ecosystem that it's in. And so we could have just watched a video or read a book about it. But I wanted my kids to see it. And at the same time, I want them to learn the tools, like what does a real ecologist to do? A real ecologist does not sit, I mean, they have time sitting at a desk, but that's not how they're learning about their information. That's not how they're doing research. They are outside in an environment doing research. And so what we did is we took some string and we went out into our forest. We live in the countryside, so we have, we're surrounded by forest. So we could do it right at our house. But we found a couple of mature trees and we took the first one and we surrounded the tree with string and tied the string off, just like with a shoelace knot, you know, just like all the way around, all the way around the tree. And the purpose of that was so that we could direct our focus to just the organisms living on the bark of the tree that were right where that string is, because the entire tree is too much to deal with at one time. That way you're focused down. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought the kids would spend 10 minutes doing this right for one tree. Mm hmm. We were out there for over an hour and it's because they were so interested in it. First, they were, had to identify the tree. What, what species was it? And my son was like, I just want to keep identifying trees. And I was like, I didn't know that would be the fun part. <laughs> but <laughs> He got but into it. He got into it. And then you don't normally look that closely at the bark of a tree, but they did. And they had, they had magnifying lenses with them so they could see up close. And it was interesting watching them notice these microscopic lichens that are growing, you know, they're just tiny little things growing all the way around this tree that they've never noticed before, even though we've lived in this house their entire lives and they've seen these trees millions of times, all of a sudden they're seeing a new thing. Wow. And it's just, you know, taking it outside. And to me, that's, a, that was a lot more impactful of a lesson than watching a video. I'm going to have to invite your boys over to watch our honeybees because they would love watching when we open the hive. Oh, they that's would. That's amazing interaction that happens. Yeah, that would be cool. With our beehive. But yeah, that, that's fascinating. When I took my kids outside after we had learned about fungus, that's still one of the highlights in my entire homeschool career was learning about fungus and then going out and searching for it in our forest. So you found mushrooms. We found all of these mushrooms 
of all different kinds. And it was just fascinating because I was the same way. I was going, we've walked these woods constantly, you know, hundreds of times. And I've never noticed all of this. And all of a sudden we were noticing things that we had never seen before. And it's fascinating when you actually take the bits of knowledge that you're learning and apply it by going out into the real world. And science is an awesome place to do that with, especially biology. You can go outside. Biology, um, geology, of course, you know, looking at rocks and, and formations in the earth and also astronomy, looking at the stars. And that you, some of the planets you can see even with the naked eye. There, there's a lot in science that you can do. Chemistry, you tend to do that a little bit more in the lab, but it still is the real world. It's like real stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is fascinating when you can actually see something that you've learned about, you know, like learned about in a book or learned about in a yeah. movie, and you go outside and see it. Yeah, I mean, even, even physics. If you do a physics lesson on a sledding hill, it's it's a lot more impactful to learn about potential and kinetic energy than if you watched a video. And then every time your kids want to get out of school, they'll be like, "Mom, can we learn physics?" That's right. <laughs> 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 but I mean, go get the slides. <laughs> you you can do the video too. I mean, we're not saying don't learn out of books or don't learn with videos. Do do those things. But sometimes also then go and apply. Get it. out in the real world. I also love it. I don't love it in the winter time. You mentioned sledding, but when it's warm enough, I love it when we go outside with our books you know you kind of combine the two worlds where the world is your classroom really literally and you take the classroom outside even if we're not completely learning about the topic just going outside and having a change of scenery I think helps my kids to just have kind of a fresh moment where they're paying attention and remembering things you can read poetry on a blanket on the grass you know (laughs) yeah I love taking our art lessons outside sometimes it's because we're actually you know, painting from the outdoors, like, okay, we're going to go do a still life flower painting, or, you know, we're painting something that we see a landscape or something. Often it's just, we want some fresh air and we're going to go outside. So we'll set up a little paint station and bring our sketchbooks and just spend some time outside. Yeah. I, I also like for science doing expeditions to places like a lab or or a, um, like a doctor's office even. I mean, these are scientists. Anywhere that science is happening, you could do an exploration. You could take a, a trip through a nursery where they're growing plants and talk to the people who are the gardeners. And that, you know, that's science too. So all of those kinds of things can be really fun. Going to the zoo, going to a pet store. Yeah, or, or an aquarium. You... Yes. Yeah. Any of those things can be really nice. Plus, just going out to an environment. We live in a forest. My kids are pretty familiar with the forest. I mean, there's obviously something you can always learn. We didn't know about the lichens on the trees until we really examined them. But to take my kids to a different environment, like have them go to the seashore, we live far from the ocean. So we have to take a trip to the seashore. You know, it's, a, it's hours and hours away. And so for them to see that other environment, though, is really, it's really world opening. Like, you can talk about the ocean all you want. You can watch videos of the ocean all you want. But until you have seen it and heard it and smelled it and felt it for yourself, it's not quite the same. Yeah, it it does impact you in more meaningful ways when you actually see and interact with something. There's no doubt about that. So you don't even need books for all this. It doesn't have to be you know, a lesson plan. It doesn't have to go with what you're learning this year. When you're out there in the world exploring things, all of that is beneficial to kids. Okay, so Michelle, let's go through like each of the subjects because I'm curious what your family does. So like with history, how would you say that you could take history like out into the world? What would you do for that? There's historical sites, of course, and, and there history has happened everywhere. So wherever you are living right now, history has happened there. So there are places you can go to see that. Our family took a, actually we did a bicycling kind of trip and it was on a trail called the Hiawatha Trail. And it used to be a railroad line. And along the trail, there are these like reader boards, signpost things that you read, you know, informational Mm -hmm. boards that you read about the history of the railroad that used to be along there. And so we, we, as we were biking, we would stop and we would read these boards as we went along. Well, we learned a lot about the history of that railroad. And a lot of it was talked about during World War II, how the railroad was used. Since then, it's been ripped up and it's not, you know, it's just a trail now. But it was fascinating to find out 
this is who built it, this is why they built it, and this is how it was used. I think just about anywhere you live, if you actually search for it, you'll find some interesting you know, expeditions right in your backyard. I mean, not your literal backyard, but in your area, in your spot that you live on on the planet. There's history that happened there, but sometimes we just drive by the signpost. Sometimes we don't actually explore the area that we live in as thoroughly as we could. Yeah, there's there's this place a couple hours from where we live here. It's called the Cataldo Mission. It's right along the freeway that goes through North Idaho. And I have driven past it maybe a hundred times, never have stopped, never been there. And I'm like, that's kind of pathetic. Like it, it, is, a, it is an old mission that was built, I think, by Jesuits. Um, I, I'm sad to say I've never been there either. Our parents went there not that long ago and they said it was really cool. Yeah, did, so did maybe we should go about together. Karen. Yeah, we should. We should take our kids on a trip. But <laughs> I was thinking about that exact same thing. You can see it. You can physically yeah. see the mission, the, the building, but I've never actually stopped. Yeah, we need to go there. Like, we, we're planning it. I, I have wanted to take my kids on a like a tour of Idaho. So Idaho is shaped long and skinny. Like the North Idaho is a long way from Southern Idaho. It takes 10 hours to get to our capital from where we live. So it's a very large state and it's very stretched out and there aren't a lot of freeways running through it. It's a little bit hard to navigate in some ways. And I have never, we've been to certain places in Idaho, but I really want to take a kids on a kind of a, a trip all through Idaho so they can see this is the geography and this is the history of where we live and so they can just learn about our own state and I I think it would be a fun trip. It's actually funny how when we plan vacations we often try to plan things that are somewhere else. Right. But we don't necessarily explore the place we live very thoroughly and we should. Yeah we, we lived in Hawaii for years and the only time we ever went to the sites was when people came to visit us and we were showing them around the island and we're like you showed me around when I came to visit you there I was very (laughs) grateful (laughs) but we were you know it was our first time at that place too because when you live in a place you kind of take it for granted a little too much maybe yeah but you really can find things wherever you live that you can take your kids to go do and just go and explore the spots I mean we have a little museum right here in our town that's kind of a historical uh, museum about the small city that we live by. We don't actually live in the city. We live in the country, but the little city that's near us. And I've driven by it lots of times, and I still haven't been to that. We should plan another field trip for there, Michelle. Yeah, I've, I've been to the one in Sandpoint because I've taken Cub Scouts to it. But <laughs> yep. yeah, it's, it's interesting when you go to those places, not only do you get to you know read the signs and see the artifacts and all of that, but inevitably you also meet people, you know, either the volunteers or the employees, And they tend to be people who are super fascinated by the history of it. That's why they're there. And they know a lot about it. They know a lot and they're so interesting to talk with. So if you have some time planned as you're going to explore the little things around you, one of the best parts is the experts who come with those spots. You know, as you talk to them, you learn so much. And we also visit historical sites when we travel. Most of our family vacations are to national parks or national monuments or... You know, places of significance like we we visited Custer Battlefield I maybe it's called I'm not sure if it's a national monument or a national park I can't remember now but it's where Custer General Custer had his last stand in mm-hmm. in the Indian Wars in the in the American West and we went there and we saw it and we were standing there on the spot and there's a map and it's showing you this is where the battle happened this is where that happened and you can sit there and see it in person that is better than any paper map that we could have done in our, you know, in our schooling. Yeah. And they'll remember it. Yeah. And they bought a hat there. So (laughs) that part was fun too. (laughs) The souvenirs. Well, sometimes you can even venture beyond your backyard to, you know, like you mentioned the national parks and every single vacation we've ever been on has in essence become a field trip because yeah, I think it's fascinating to learn about the places that you're going to see. And, and as you visit, you inevitably learn a ton. You do. And some of the places we've been to were unplanned. Like we took a trip to California and we went through San Francisco and we were only going to spend a day in San Francisco, right? We're like basically a few hours in the morning is what we had planned. Uh-huh. And we didn't even realize that there was a national maritime museum right there in San Francisco on the water. 
But we got there and we saw it and we were like, oh, we're going in there. Because they have an old sailing ship. You can actually climb on and go down in the hold and you can see it. And the the park service guys climb up the rigging and they do these shanty songs. It was great. That's fantastic. <laughs> but we didn't even know it was there. And then we just were like, oh, we're going here. And we learned a lot. Have you guys been to Alcatraz? No, we wanted to go, but you have to get reservations way ahead of time. And we hadn't planned it. We must have just been there in an off season or something. Because we went, we didn't have reservations ahead, but we went to Alcatraz and that was one of the cooler spots that we've had. Like that's an unforgettable emblazoned in my mind memory because it was just, they have you wear headsets there and they tell the story of different people, guards, prisoners, even the children of the guards who went to school on the island. Have you ever read, um, Al, is it Al Capone washes my shirts or... I haven't, but now I, I can't need to. remember, but it's it's a great book. <laughs> that just reminded me of it. Sorry, that's <laughs> off topic. <laughs> but it, I think no matter where you go, you can find things to learn about if you search a little bit. And especially when it comes to history. I don't know. Sometimes we actually plan things. Our family just had a pretty amazing trip to Egypt. And that was kind of a bucket list item for me. We've wanted to go visit Egypt for they a long, long time. They have this awesome picture of their whole family sitting on camels in the desert in front of the pyramids. I'm like, oh my gosh. We we <laughs> took a camel ride to the pyramids and then we got to explore the pyramids and it was unreal after so much research and so many times writing about Egypt and learning about Egypt and it was really, really fascinating to actually go there and see it. I mean, I stood there nearly in tears when I was looking at King Tut's death mask because I'm like, we made that out of paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've done the layers of learning projects on this for decades now in our family. And it was so neat to actually go there. So if you have a chance to go do one of those things, you do it. But even if it's learning about the history in your backyard, you do that too. So, so history in your backyard, speaking of that, it doesn't have to be a trip to a historical site. You can also just go outside. This spring, we made a timeline. I wanted the kids to see the entire history of the world. Like, how long is human history? Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking from the first civilization in Sumer until the present day. You know, how long is that? So we actually got out some string, some, like, yarn, and we, we measured it out, and we stretched it out, and then... We marked off like, okay, this is when this event happened. This is when, you know, like this is when the pyramids were built and mm -hmm. we put that on the string. And then we put, you know, when this is this, this is the American civil war. And it gave the kids this idea of the whole span of history and how long it has actually been and how very, very recent it was that the civil war happened in America. Because we tend to feel like, oh, if it's longer than a human lifetime, we feel like that's a really long time. A hundred <laughs> years is a really long time. But when you're talking about the whole history of the world, it's nothing. America is young. So it, it, that, puts, so. it puts things in perspective and it helps them to visualize that whole history. But the, the string ended up being, I can't remember how long it was, like 40 feet. You know, it was long. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something you can do inside the house. But you get outside and you're making this timeline and you can see it and it's, it's cool. Well, and I loved... Like I remember when my kids were little and I was teaching them about the Pony Express and I went to the dollar store and we got stick horses and they were delivering little letters all over. I mean, they were riding around the neighborhood. They were so happy on their little <laughs> stick horses and they'll always remember the Pony Express because of that. And we didn't have real horses. We weren't really on the Pony Express trail, but we took it outside the classroom and kind of brought history to life in our yard. We, one time we, I wanted my kids to see how big was a Viking ship actually. So <laughs> we went outside and we measured like, of course they they weren't all exactly the same length, but we found a description of a Viking ship and we went outside and we measured how big the ship would have been. And it's different to hear a number and to actually see right. the distance. And so, you know, things like that can be done outside and can be really fun. Also, if you reenact an event from history. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Pony Express is one example. You're sort of reenacting. A battle, any anything like that. I remember thinking, we can't learn about Lewis and Clark if we're not at least hiking while we do it. You know? <laughs> right. So go find a trail and go and explore something. Because they were explorers. So let's just go and channel that for a little bit and go outside and learn about them. When we learned about rivers, we went to a river and you know, just read our books right along the shore. 
little things like that, just taking it outside for that change of scenery and making it memorable in that way is really powerful. So we talked a little bit about art, Karen, and you said that sometimes you like, will paint outside. Do you do, what other art kind of field trips or outdoor activities do you guys do? Well, I definitely love to go, you know, to the traditional type museum, but you don't have that kind of opportunity constantly, you know, partly because... Especially depending on where you live. Yeah, depending on where you live, and there's generally a cost, and, you know... And and you may have babies and toddlers, and that's not fun. Yeah, so that's (laughs) kind of more like a vacation where, hey, when you get an opportunity, you go see the actual gallery, you go see the paintings. But art goes a lot beyond that, too. I mean, everything from going to see a play to, you know, an orchestra concert, even if it's the junior high concert that you're going to in your local (laughs) town or whatever, you know. Um, I think there are lots of ways to be exposed to the arts in a bigger way, if you think about it. And then also just things like when you're driving around town, you will see lots of things, everything from a billboard to architecture, to a sculpture, to, you know, a painting hanging on the wall in your doctor's office. If you start to notice the things around you and talk about them with your kids, it's amazing how often our world is filled with art that we ignore. Sandpoint, which is one of the little towns up here, they have businesses put art from local artists on their walls, and those 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 pieces of art are all for sale. But they're just they're hung in different businesses around town. They call it Art Walk. They call it Art Walk, and you can just walk in. There's like a map that tells you which businesses have paintings hanging in them, and you can just go and walk through the businesses and you look at the art and of course people can buy them if they want to but you can also just go and look and see what they have and it's pretty fun it's interesting yeah and there are a lot of places that have you know the weekend art shows or things like that if you're looking for it you will start to notice the arts community in your area well and like there's a shake there are shakespeare festivals that happen in every decent sized town across the world you can go watch a shakespeare play a lot of times for free from those festivals that they have going on or at your local community college, they'll be putting on plays of different kinds and you can go watch those usually for pretty inexpensive. Even, you know, like our local college here and some of our libraries have art that's hanging on their walls, you know, in different hallways or different um, classroom areas and things. They'll have kind of little gallery setups in various places. So if you're looking, you will find resources like that and then we also just love to do the practical art outside you know everything from hey let's just go outside and sketch outside today you know I love to tell my kids I want you to go find something and sketch that thing and it can be a rock a flower you know the clouds they can sketch whatever they want but I just want them to learn to look at things to look closely at things and really examine them and then they recreate it in their sketchbook. We have some done some art projects in the past that are only allowed outside. Like <laughs> because of the mess? Because of the mess. <laughs> it's like like oh I have taken a big long piece of butcher paper and then had the kids flick paint at it and stuff. I'm not gonna let them do that in the living room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Probably there not. are some things that we do outside that are really fun like that. Oh, a few years ago we took a carton of eggs like we took the eggs and we emptied the egg out. So we just had the shells left in the carton. So they were in little halves in the carton and we filled them with paint, like tempera paint, washable, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I had the big foam board pieces and I just set it up against some of the trees in our forest. And I basically just let the kids launch the eggs at the foam board. And they just made these splatter paintings and it got all over the woods, but it was all washable temper paint. The next time it rained, it was, you know, it was gone. Yeah, it was gone. Yeah, And we've done sidewalk chalk too with different. Yeah. And things like that are wildly fun. Just so fun. And then when we did that, we learned about action painting and that whole, you know, there, there were famous artists who did very similar things where they weren't meticulously painting details. They were, Flinging paint at the flinging, canvas. Yeah, yeah, flinging paint. And, and it was really, really fun. If, it's know, not that, like the kind of thing I'm going to do every day, but you only have to do it once and they will remember it forever. That's right. You only have to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're not a person that likes to deal with the mess. <laughs> but anytime you're doing anything messy, taking it outside is just a great solution for that anyway. It's just... Yeah. I mean, glitter in the grass isn't nearly as bad as glitter in the kitchen. 
I like glitter everywhere. <laughs> I'm not a glitter Except fan. in my hair. I don't want it. I actually buy the glitter glue so that it's all contained. <laughs> I'm no Happily fun. Happily sticking to the page. I'm no fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think because it's a creative process, I mean, everything from giving your kids a chance to paint on other surfaces, to paint on rocks, to paint on wood instead of just painting on paper is a really interesting way to create art. And that's what artists do. They have different things that they create, not just the one way that we have to do it. Art shouldn't be a recipe. Art can be made out of all kinds of things. And when you go out into the world and look for things to create on, it's really fun. We, we've done art that belongs outside too. Like we've made stepping stones where you put the little glass... They're not marbles because they're flat. What are they called? Like the glass bead yeah, things. Yeah, like the glass bead yeah. things and and natural items. Like they'll press a leaf into it and stuff and they get they can to put their handprint it. in it. They can put their handprint in it. Yeah. So we've done things like that and painted on flower pots that end up being put outside. You know, things like that. So. Yeah. I, I think art is actually an easy one to take outside because it's a little bit more of a relaxed subject. It doesn't take a lot of thought to plan out how could we take this outside partly you can just go outside and do it you yeah. know art's really fun and creative anyway so just take it outside we talked about travel with history but obviously travel works for geography too oh yeah so one of the things that I have found that I believe is important to teach my kids is the idea that people are people and we tend to get in this kind of attitude like us versus them people put we put ourselves in groups and we put other people in groups and we tend to think well the people over here aren't like us we we get that message through the media we get the message through books through conversations through our own minds sometimes and then you go travel to that place and you find out oh no they're really nice they're just like the people back home and we're all we're all really kind of the same and i i have found that traveling even if it's just, you know, to the next state or to the next town has opened my kids' minds so that they aren't so provincial. They're not so stuck in, I'm in my little bubble and I don't want to ever leave it because the people out there are scary. You know, I don't want them to feel like that. Well, and I love taking my kids somewhere, like, for example, even the grocery store. You take them to the grocery store when you're learning about another country, especially like one that doesn't have grocery stores in the style that we do here. And you sit there and ask them, what is different about what we have versus what they have, about what, how we live versus how they live? You know, you find similarities, you find differences, you make comparisons, and you just chat about things like that. It's really fascinating to hear what your kids will notice. Sometimes we get so stuck in our rut of life that we don't even realize how we live. Do you remember how we were talking about when we wrote the unit on the United States of America, how difficult that was <laughs> yes. for us? Because we've never known anything different than yeah. that. How so, do you write about your own culture when you're just immersed in it all the time? You're, like it, it's, you're so immersed you don't recognize it. Yes, you don't even know that what you do is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it, for example, ketchup is weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's but amazing. It's basically <laughs> tomato jam and I... As far as I know, Americans are the only ones that really go hard on ketchup. Maybe Canadians, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we fail to see how we're different than other places in the world because we're so ingrained in our own selves. But I feel like like when you go somewhere else or you learn about somewhere else, especially if you go, actually physically go there, you start to see yourself more clearly. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that we did that until I see that they do it differently. Yeah. And. And it doesn't take very long or very many experiences before you realize, you know, you start out and you say, oh, they're weird. And then you start to realize, maybe I'm weird. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, when you start to recognize the cool differences and the variety and diversity in the world, I think it's really helpful to understanding who you are, too. And that some of who you are is your choices. You think you're just that way because you're that way. But actually, we are very much a product of our culture. And it's important to start to recognize those cultural tendencies. Well, and, and I do, I like what you said about how you start thinking that they're weird and then you realize, well, maybe I'm weird because we do look at other traditions and we think, why are they doing that? That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's just not logical. And then we realize that we bring a tree into our house 
every year and decorate it to celebrate the birth of a baby <laughs> from 2,000 years ago. And it's like, okay, everybody's traditions are weird if you, you know, are looking at it from a distance, but... <laughs> yeah, but we get so ingrained in them that we love them, right? Right, and, right. But it's it's really fascinating when you can start to take yourself outside of your culture a little bit and start to recognize, oh, I could do things differently. Not that you necessarily will, but it's important to recognize the cool diversity that there is. I love it when my kids learn about like holidays in other cultures and then they want to incorporate it. They would incorporate like every holiday if they could. They'd be like, <laughs> let's add another 10 holidays, mom. You, you know what one I want to incorporate is Holly, which they celebrate in India. Because they, they do that, the bright, colorful chalks and they throw them at yeah. each other. It's like this massive party. And I realize it has religious significance. It's not just throwing colors on each other, but I like the color part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that is fascinating about learning about other places. It's really cool when you go there, but even if you can't go there, if you can experience a little tiny piece of it, your kids might only get the color throwing part, but then you get to sit down and say, okay, but if you were there and you were celebrating it, what do you think it would mean when you actually learn what it means to them? I mean, even to us with the Christmas tree, there are meanings there that, right. that are fascinating when you learn about them. But you have to start with the experiencing something so that you remember it and you're fascinated. And then you can kind of get the lesson. You know, you go, okay, let's talk about this. Why is this meaningful to the people in this nation or in this culture? Don't you think that that breaks down the barrier of us versus them? Yeah, I, I, I think it really does. And I think until you can break down that barrier, everyone's going to be the enemy. I think one of my biggest goals in teaching geography to my kids is basically having them embrace the human race. And that's with all of the amazing diversity and cool things that different people bring to it. Yeah, and that, that doesn't mean that you have to participate in everybody's traditions or incorporate them or even agree with them all. No. But learning about them and going, wow, look at the, look at this world. Yeah. It's so much bigger than my little spot in it. Yeah, we have so many global problems. And I think a lot of that is actually because we don't understand each other on even the most superficial level. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who has grown up in Iran has such a different experience from someone who grew up in Idaho. And we just can't even, we can't even understand each other until we make that effort to understand each other. Like we're not, we're not even talking on the same the same language. I mean, literally we're not, but also, <laughs> you know, figuratively we're not. Part of it is because our value systems differ greatly between different areas of the world and different cultures and different peoples. And so it's, it's sometimes hard to recognize why someone would value something that you don't value or why I'll give one example. In the United States, we very much value individualism. We're hyper individualistic extremely so but in many other nations they value community way more than individualism in fact individualism individualism would be seen as a negative right as selfish but we look at it as if individuals are at their best they can bring the entire community up if we are all doing our best being inventive being hardworking, then it will raise the entire group of people it's not that we're trying to be selfish. It's just a different set of values. That doesn't mean that community-based people are wrong. They're saying, I'm going to put myself last and put the good of society first. That's also a really good thing. And when we start to be able to understand each other and our value systems, we begin to appreciate the diversity of the world in meaningful ways instead of just not speaking the same language and not agreeing and not talking to each other. And you'd get that best by actually going and realizing, oh, these are real people. This isn't an abstract exercise. There are real people living in this real culture, and I can see them, and I can talk to them. I can have conversations with them, and we can have a connection. Even if we don't agree on a lot of our philosophies, we're still all human beings who care about our families. We care about you know, other people. We care about our communities. We care about decency and kindness. And that's true all over the world. It was really interesting when our family was in Indonesia because that was a very strikingly different culture than anything we had experienced before that. 
And it was really neat for me to watch my kids as we learned about their spirituality there. My kids were kind of processing it and going, wow. Because everywhere we went in the streets, there were these little plates that were offering plates. And they would put out offerings. They had little bits of food on them, little bits of money on them little flowers and plants. They would just have these cute little offering plates. And it was their way of basically sacrificing. They were making sure that they were putting spirituality and God ahead of anything else in their lives by just putting that little offering plate out. And when we were staying at this little villa, the people who owned the villa would come in every day and put out little offering plates in our villa. And we were like, oh, because, wow. Because you weren't doing it. And so they were doing well, it for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't even have the offering plates to to do it necessarily but it was really neat as we talked to them about what it meant to them when you talk to somebody who has a different value system you really appreciate what they're doing we admired them and we just thought this is the coolest thing it's still not something that we do in our lives we didn't come home and start setting offering plates you know on the curb in front of our house but we'll always remember that and their devotion and they would stop the workday in the middle of the day to make sure that their offering was out in the moment that it needed to be And it impressed us, even though we didn't incorporate it. It's neat to learn about the value systems and the people of the world and why they do the things they do, even if they're different, maybe especially if they're different than what we do. So travel is essential for geography, even if, I I really think, Karen, even if you're not traveling very far, I don't think you have to have a lot of money and be able to travel all around the world and visit different countries or, you know, the right resources to do that in order to, to achieve some of that goal it's it would be nice if we could all go it would be nice if we were all married to a pilot like me yeah <laughs> well, it, would, it would be nice if we really had a world where things were even easier for travel yeah. less less barriers to that or where but, but you, we don't have you and world. I grew up and we never travel I mean we did travel we went to the Grand Canyon we once. went to Canada we went to Canada once yeah. we live not very far from Canada so that wasn't that's true terribly hard we live closer but, to Canada than most of the United States that's true <laughs> but but we did travel. I mean, we went camping and we yes. went on vacations as kids, but we didn't do a ton of big cultural experiences, I would right. say. Right. We didn't go to France. We didn't go to South America or, you know, we, our travel was much closer. And that's the way it's been for my kids. We haven't traveled around the world. We've traveled around the Western because United States. Because it's, it's expensive and it's a huge commitment. Yeah. And you know, it's not actually feasible for every family. But I, I mean, I feel like when we went to California on a trip... Californians get a bit of a bad rap in the rest of the United States. <laughs> and, you know, Californians this and Californians that. But you go there and you realize they're just people. They're just like us. They're not different. They're, you know, Californians aren't a different breed. We're all the same, you know. Yeah. And and the people there are nice and the people here are nice and everybody's. Well, everybody you know. has something to offer. And every even among the different parts of the United States, there are different subcultures. And oh, yeah different value systems and different Definitely. ways that we live. And it's it's fascinating when you actually take the time to talk to people and learn about their lives. You come away feeling differently about them than what you thought. Than your prejudices. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it can be really, really valuable to to just stop and not make assumptions about people, but just want to learn about them. Besides travel, though, we do other things that are geography outdoors. One thing that's, I think pretty obvious is seeing landforms. Like you actually go out and you go to a peninsula on the lake nearby. And you know, you learn about peninsulas at the peninsula. If you're learning about mountains, definitely go to a mountain and see the tree line. Don't just, yeah. I mean, if you can, if you're anywhere near mountains, well, we live in the mountains. (laughs) We live in, (laughs) we live in the mountains, but, but I mean, you know, if, if you can get to a desert, go to the desert. If you can, if you can see a glacier, you should go see the glacier. Yeah. Yeah. We can go out and see our world and we've labeled all these landforms, but we didn't come up with them. They're built into the world. Go out and see the world a little bit (laughs) and then learn the labels, you know, but we also do simple things like I love to just give my kids the sidewalk chalk and tell them to go and draw the map of whatever country we're learning about on the on the driveway instead of just doing it in their little notebook. Sometimes it's fun to just get outside and kind of just take the lesson outdoors and talk about things outdoors. We do the same thing with stories. 
I love reading stories or fairy tales or folk tales from different countries. Oh, I do too. And so it's it's nice to just take the book outside and read it out there and explore a little bit and talk about, look, we're out in the world. Let's learn about a place in the world. I I like to do little things too, like when we learn the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, <laughs> yeah. to actually go outside with a compass and, you know, which way is north in the real world. And I can do it with a compass, but don't take my compass away and then ask me which way is north. Okay, Michelle? <laughs> Karen's, Karen's direction for north is forward. She believes that whichever whichever way she's facing at the moment, okay. that's north. I don't believe it. <laughs> I just don't know anything more accurate, so why not just go with that? <laughs> she makes I, me... I have no innate sense of direction in me. It's not built in. So I just, you know, randomly choose a direction and go with that. That's north. She so might has, as well kind of be forward she, and up. She has a getting lost problem. <laughs> I do. So don't, don't let her go too far on her own. <laughs> <laughs> I go far now. I just use GPS. Well, yeah, it's, that's improved. There was a time when that wasn't so common. <laughs> and yeah. It was harder to navigate. Now I, I can get around. The other day <laughs> I was going to the store and we actually have like a an app that everyone in our family has so you can track any of the people in our family. So we can always see like where our kids are and they can see where we are. And I was going to just the normal grocery store that I go to every single week, you know, and I have the GPS on in the background and my husband called because he saw that I was out on the road. He's like, Hey, where are you going? And I said, Oh, I'm, I'm just going grocery shopping. And he's like, I hear your GPS on in the background. (laughs) What are you doing? Why do you have the GPS on? I had it on because instead of coming from our house, I was coming from a different spot in town. And I said, I, I know I could get there, but I don't know if I know the best way to get there. So I turned the <laughs> GPS on. So I probably need a few geography lessons before you set me free on the road without GPS, Michelle. <laughs> something. You need something. <laughs> that's, that's actually a fun one, though, to take your kids to somewhere in town. And you give them a map, not GPS, but an actual map of your town or your city and you tell them, I want you to get me to this spot. And they have to kind of direct you like, you know, they have to use the map, use their map skills and figure out, turn left, turn right, go forward three blocks and give you directions. And whatever they say, you do it. Even if you know they're wrong, you follow what they're doing and see where you end up. It's good practice. (laughs) One of my sons did that in driver's ed. The driver's ed teacher told them they were, they were at one location. He said, I want you to drive to Joel's, a restaurant in town. And they had to know where Joel's was. And my son was like, I have no idea where that's at. <laughs> I've never been there. Because, well, we don't drive. I don't know. We don't drive around the little town that often. And when we do, the well, kids you, aren't paying any attention. And you don't live in that town. We don't you, live in the town. We live out in the country. And we often go to, we, we go to any of several towns that are surrounding, right? Yeah. So it's not just, it's not our town per se. But, but Joel's has really good tacos. It, you should have, have been taking your have, kids there, Michelle. I know. They have excellent tacos. But still... <laughs> Still, they were like, I don't know where that is. And the driver's ed teacher was kind of like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) He can't have a license because he'll get lost. With the next kid, I I made sure that we drove around town and figured out where things were. because (laughs) It's never occurred to me before that geography lessons could be learning your way around town. But I'm thinking I should put that on my list of things to teach my kids. (laughs) Like, I'm not very good at it. Maybe I could learn, too. I, I actually like having my kids navigate for me, especially when they're learning cardinal directions and left and right, making them. Like, you guys, you have to tell me before we get to the corner, which way do I go? Which way do yeah. I go? Yeah. <laughs> and then they have to. Well, have you been geocaching with your family? Yes. That That's a really fun, fun geography it outdoor fun. lesson. Because they really learn about the whole grid system and how accurate it actually is. And it's how, amazing. How it's, it's pretty accurate, but it's also not perfect. So you have to kind of, you know... You have to, it can take you really close to the spot, but then you have to dig around to find the exact geocache. Well, yeah. And to, to start the process, you just get the coordinates online. They're like geocaching. Yeah. I, I don't there's, know if there's there are an apps. App. There are yeah, apps. there are apps. We always had the website when we did it, but I think there are apps now too. And so it'll tell you a spot and you have to basically navigate to that spot. And you're finding usually like a little treasure trove of hidden items and you kind of yeah, and, leave and your, one your, and take one. And, and your phone is kind of showing you a map, but it's, it's really like coordinates. So you're, you're having, you're not navigating by feet and directions or, you know, meters and directions. You're navigating by coordinates on Mm -hmm. the grid. And so you're like, well, I'm at, 
you know, I'm at 48 degrees north, five seconds, whatever it is. And then you have to, I, you realize I have to get to this coordinate. And so it's, it's a very good lesson on, on how the grid system works. On yeah, the and just a really fun family activity. Yeah. Like they won't feel like they're in school, but you actually learn a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of geography things besides cultures and places you can go. There's also a lot of geography skills that you can just go do outside. One of the other things we've done is when we know someone who's traveling somewhere, I make my kids like find that spot on a map. And then I'll say like, okay, I want you to figure out how would you get there? Like they actually have to go, okay, I could take a train there. I could take a plane there. If I drove, it would be this far. If I rode a bike, it would take me this long. You know, so I ask them different questions about things like that. And they just are required to go and find out something about the places. So even if they don't go to the spot, if they know someone who does, like grandpa and grandma go there or... Or be, uncle or somebody. Yeah, because my husband Bob travels for work. When they oh, were yeah. little, I used to do that all the time. Like, okay, follow dad on the map, you know, and they'd have to follow where he was going. But anytime that you have an opportunity to kind of talk about real life in relation to the map, it kind of brings it to life in a new way. Have you ever had your kids help plan a vacation? Like where they have to... Okay, we're going to figure out the route and, and how long should we drive before we stop? You know, where are we going to stay the night and that kind of stuff? Have you ever had your kids help? So this is like maybe the saddest story ever, but yes, I did. And it failed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, so this was a long time ago. I can't even remember how old they were, but I would say my oldest was probably like nine or 10. So, I mean, now he's moved out and on his own. He's 19 now, so... It was a while ago, but we decided we wanted to go to New York and I told the kids, you have to plan everything out. And that was like, they had to create this learning book all about New York where they learned the capital and they learned all about the state and everything along the way. And then I told them, okay, you actually have to make our travel plans. Like they did have to get on and get the flights and which is we do differently because Bob's a pilot. So he, they had to go onto like his travel website and book the flights and figure out how to do it and everything. And we got to Minneapolis and then the flight from Minneapolis to New York was totally booked full. One of the flights had canceled. And so oh. we fly only if there are seats on the plane, you know, we fly standby. And so the entire trip got canceled and we had to fly back home. Oh, that they, is really sad. They had spent like, three weeks researching New York. They had these elaborate, you know, travel journals and they were going to go these scavenger hunts that we were going to find these certain things in New York. And they had planned the whole thing out and then it all flopped. It was really super did sad. Did you ever go to New York though? I think you guys did later. So I've been like, personally, I've been to New York a couple times and our, one of our daughters has been with her dad when he was flying through there. Um, but the first time we went as a family was actually on our way to Egypt and we were there for one oh. day. <laughs> so you never did the we trip. We never that they did planned. the trip. So yeah, 10 years later we went for one day. They saw the Statue of Liberty and like Times Square and you know, some of the big highlights, but yeah, it, it wasn't like a continuation because 10 years later when you're, you know, that it's, young doesn't, yeah, it's not the same it, trip. And honestly, this, the stop in New York was kind of a change of last minute plans on the way to Egypt. We weren't even supposed to be there in that. So we had nothing planned for right. that time. <laughs> but, but yeah, one time we also did do a drive to Seattle, which is about five hours from where we live. And we told our kids, okay, we're just going to do sporadic stops along the way. And so they would like stop when we saw one of the signs along the way, the historical signs or the little highlight spots. And it took us like nine hours to get to Seattle instead of the five, but we stopped <laughs> but that was all the plan. along the way and yeah. saw cool stuff. And they were learning, you know, they each had like their little spot that they had learned about and they were teaching us about kind of a thing. So we've done things like that a little bit, but I've never had my kids plan an entire trip, but I've had them plan parts of it. And I feel like that's useful because they start to realize, well, I want them to know how to travel on their own. But yeah. they also start to realize, oh, this is how long it actually takes to get to, from point A to point B. And this is the route. And they have to use maps and they have to use other travel information like, you know, the Internet to find out what's a cool thing to go and see while we're yeah. there. Yeah. That kind of stuff. I think especially those highlight things when you can get them researching it, it gets them super excited, too. 
like they get invested in the trip instead of just tagging along and yeah. you droning on about it. Instead, yeah. they're like, they're knowing what they're looking for and they're excited to. My kids like having a road atlas like their own when they're when we're traveling so they can see where we are on the map and they follow yeah, f- along with the trip. Follow everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you really want your kids to learn how to read a map, that's how to do it. Have them actually read a map while you're traveling because then it's real. The lesson sticks much better than a pretend map out of a workbook. So, Michelle, I have to tell you a funny story about reading maps. This was probably almost 20 years ago. So this is before we really had GPS built into the car and, you know, we weren't all carrying cell phones around and all of that. So we were this on is, a trip. This is pre-smartphone. This is, yeah. yeah. I, I hate to admit how old we're getting, but we're there. <laughs> we're just going to have to own up to it. But yeah, we were on this trip and we were going over to the coast, to the Washington coast. And we were with my husband's parents and my mother-in-law was the navigator in the front seat and my father-in-law was driving the car. And so she was telling him like, okay, you're going to turn left. And, you know, we were going to all these different places. And she said, wow, coming up, you're going to take a really sharp right and then a really sharp left and then a really (laughs) sharp right. It's going to be drastic. So slow down, get ready. This is going to be drastic. And we come to the spot and we're like, what were you talking about? There's no sharp turn anywhere. It was the symbol for an intersection. It was just a zigzag symbol that indicated oh. intersection, <laughs> but she didn't know what that meant. And it did indicate it in the map key. It showed that that was an intersection, but she didn't look at the map key. So there's a lesson in there map keys for you right there. Real life <laughs> map key lesson. But it was so funny. We we teased her for years about it. It was good times. Make a U-turn. Yeah. <laughs> just keep doing that over and over. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of cool to have your kids read the keys and then look at the map and then see the thing in real life. So yeah. wherever you are, if you can grab a map, whether it's, you know, a map of the amusement park or the zoo that you're at. Oh, that's yes. That's or good a too. map of the city. They can kind of learn even, oh, even a mall map, like in a, yeah. in a shopping mall. Yeah. Or your own town. Yeah. If, if you go to the mall of America, you need a map. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, but yeah, anywhere you go, if there's a, a little guide or a map, hand it to your kids, put them in charge of it and let them navigate for a little bit. And it's kind of fun to watch what they learn. So anytime that you take your learning outside, I think it has certain benefits. You know, you can connect to the real world. You read the book, but then you go see it in real life or you watch the video and then you go do it in real life or act it out or act it out. Yeah. But just, you know, getting outside, getting your body moving, connecting your body and the things that you're experiencing through your senses with what you're learning intellectually is powerful. It makes it so memorable. And it it also helps you learn in a deeper way than you ever could with just reading a book or watching a video. I think part of it is when we actually engage in something, we're taking the time to process the information. We're not reading for a second and then moving on, but we're actually living it a little bit. We're processing it. We're thinking about it. We're considering it in new and deeper ways. And when we take the time to do that, it kind of becomes a part of us. So the world really can be your classroom. It doesn't have to be just a catchphrase. It really can be the thing that gives you a lens to see the world in new and deeper ways. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.